We've studied Paul long enough to know he never lets an opportunity to share the gospel go by. The commander agreed. Paul stood on the stairs. He motioned to the people to be quiet. And soon, believe it or not, a deep silence enveloped the crowd. And he addressed them in their own language. Paul was a brilliant man. I don't know how many languages in which he was fluent, but he spoke Hebrew, he spoke Greek, and he spoke Arabic, or Aramaic, I should say. Aramaic, not Arabic, Aramaic. And so now he's addressing the crowd in Hebrew slash Aramaic. The commander of the Roman army, he addressed in Greek because he knew that guy would understand that. So Paul somehow quiets down the angry mob, and it had to be a God thing. Because a few minutes ago, they were willing to risk arrest themselves, beating and trying to kill Paul. Now they're willing to listen to him. It's a God thing, at least for now. Paul begins to address the crowd. And the fact that he spoke to them in their own language didn't hurt his case at all. And in essence, he's about to give them his salvation testimony. He's going to share with them how he came to know Christ. He's going to share with them how he came to know, how to meet, how to know Jesus. And that's going to be the focus of our message today. He begins addressing the crowd, brothers and esteemed fathers. Listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence became even greater. Interesting, Paul chooses to address them. Now put yourself in there in his place. They were just beating him, trying to kill him. If it wouldn't have been for the Roman guard, he would have been killed. And he addresses the crowd as fathers, or brothers and esteemed fathers. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? These were the guys that were just mercilessly beating and trying to kill you. And you address them as brothers and esteemed fathers. Actually, this was brilliant. This was incredibly wise. There's a lesson in this for us. Are you listening? Why widen the gap between them that already existed? Why emphasize that? Instead, he tries to close the gap between them. No emphasis on us and them. It was just us. No emphasis on you're wrong and I am right. He addressed them in endearing terms. He addressed them with dignity and he addressed them with respect. Leads to a principle. In witnessing, in witnessing, that theological word, which just means sharing your faith in Jesus, sharing your testimony. When we're doing that, when we have opportunity to do that, here's the principle on the screen. Identify and find common ground with your audience. Don't go in there both barrels blasting us and them. You're wrong and I'm right. Don't worry. I hear the objections. I hear your thinking. Those of us who just freaked out on that statement, we're not going to compromise truth. We're not going to compromise the word of God, and we're not going to condone sin. 
We're just going to identify with them in dignity and respect as much as is possible. And we're going to find common ground. Where can we talk civilly about this? God never compromises truth. God never compromises his word. God never condones sin, not even to win a precious soul to him. Never. And we should not either. The illustration of the rich young man. It may have been the Apostle Paul. Isn't that interesting? But during Jesus' ministry, a rich young ruler, religious ruler, came to Jesus and asked him, like, what should he do to be saved? And Jesus said, follow the commandments. He said, I've done that, kind of braggadocio, but I've done that. So in the course of the conversation, Jesus said, okay, what you need to do is sell everything you own and follow me. And the rich young ruler said, I can't do that. So Jesus said, okay, we'll find another way for you. (laughs) This is exactly what it says. Jesus, loving him, watched him walk away. God won't compromise his word. He won't compromise truth. He won't condone sin even to reach a precious lost soul. But he'll do everything in his power to bring that precious lost soul to himself. That's what we need to keep in mind when we're out there in the world, in the battle. There's been so much talk about battle, and it is a battle. Satan does not like to release lost souls into the kingdom of God. And we've been talking about 100,000 lost souls coming to Christ in this area. He's not going to take that sitting down and watch them waltz out of his kingdom and into Christ's kingdom. There's going to be a fight. But here's the good news. God always wins. Jesus is the victor. Does that mean it won't ever get tough? No, you know that already. It can get very tough, but it can be very worth it. If you led one person to the Lord in your life, it makes all your suffering and all your sacrifice for the cause of Christ worthwhile. One lost soul. That's how powerful it is. That's how meaningful it is. There's no other reason to live than to be partnering with God to reach lost souls for Christ and then discipling them. All we're simply saying here is we're not compromising anything We're just simply saying that whenever you have the opportunity to share your faith, share your testimony, look for, emphasize the common ground rather than the differences, differences short of sin. If they won't accept that, well, then that's one thing. If they want to battle, you know, you never argue anybody into the kingdom anyhow. If they want to battle, it's not time. They're not ready. Change the subject or walk away. You never argue anybody into the kingdom. You love them into the kingdom. Scripture says as much as is possible on our part, though, as much as it depends on us, we must be at peace with all men. We're looking for the common ground, not the differences. So Paul continues with this strategy. Then Paul said to the crowd, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus a city in Sicilia, but I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. And as his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and our customs. I am a Jew like you. I was educated right here in Jerusalem like you under Gamaliel, a highly respected elitist Jewish rabbi. 
I'm familiar with all the law, all the customs, all the religious practices, the entire culture. And I have a great respect for it. I have a great respect for my Jewish heritage, is what he's telling the crowd. He is continuing in this tactic of identifying with them, minimizing the differences, maximizing the common ground. You catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. By the way, point for us, love, which we're called to love when we become Christians, love, love minimizes the differences, maximizes the common ground. Legalism, self-righteousness, pride, maximizes the differences, ignores the common ground. Sometimes I'm afraid that in our witnessing, we're more concerned about winning an argument than we are winning a soul. Paul continues, I became very zealous to honor God, zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today, common ground. I persecuted followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, throwing them in prison. I received letters to our Jewish brothers in Damascus authorizing me to bring the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, Christians, believers, from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished, zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. I was just like you. I was a zealot for Judaism. I was a zealot for the law. I was a zealot for our Jewish ways. I was like you a few short years ago. I would have been leading this mob. I did to others what you are trying to do to me today, only worse. Later in verse 20 of this passage, Paul talks about how he was involved in the stoning of Stephen to death, the first martyr for the faith. Remember Acts chapter 7? They put their hands over their ears. They began shouting. They rushed at him, Stephen. They dragged him out of the city. Oh, a violent mob, just like Paul is facing. They dragged him out of the city. They began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats. They laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul, who now is Paul. Saul, Paul, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing, with the stoning of Stephen. How about that for a parallel? Very similar mob violence, brutal beating, only this time all the way to death. Stephen, unfortunately, wasn't rescued, not earthly speaking, but Stephen was with the Lord, which is where we all want to be, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So Stephen was with the Lord, but Paul was with the mob. Paul held their coats while they killed him. Paul, as a leading religious leader in Jerusalem, condoned the brutal killing of Stephen. I was just like you. Back to our text today, Paul's trying to get their attention. He's trying to convince this mob that he knows. He understands why they're doing what they're doing. He was formerly one of them, and he did the same thing. Are you following the line of reasoning? So one of those acts, buts, B-U-T-S, only this one's a good but, the story is about to take a turn. In this first part of his address that we've been reading, or his testimony, 
Paul had established who he was, who he had been, past tense. Now he begins to tell them who he is, who he has become, present tense. Classic salvation testimony. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was this, I once was that, and now I'm this. Very powerful. People can argue theological truth with you, but they can't argue their testimony. They have to call you a liar to say that that's not true. So Paul begins his, the, the positive part of his testimony. He established the fact that he identifies with them. He once was like them even worse. Now the positive. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. For those of you who might not know, that's Paul's Hebrew name before he became a Christian and he changed it to Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. So Paul begins telling them, this mob, what happened to him on the way to Damascus, which is in Syria. His salvation experience. And this was, by the way, while he was on one of his terrorism runs, looking for Christians to persecute and kill. The details in, in this testimony won't be as important as the principles we're going to pull out, but we're going to just mention the details as we go through. Details. A very bright light from heaven suddenly shone around Paul. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice. Out of nowhere, a bright light, knocked to the ground, a voice spoke to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Obvious question. Saul said, who are you? The voice replied, I am Jesus. Hey, just in case you don't know it or you're not sure, Jesus is alive and well today. He died on the cross. He was buried in the ground. He resurrected from the dead. He's alive. He ascended, and he's very much living at the, hand, at the right hand of his Father, and he's orchestrating all that's going on in the universe, including the events on earth. That Jesus who was alive spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Here's a principle for us. Salvation testimony. When you're telling somebody your testimony... You're telling them all about how you met, how you came to know Jesus. At some point in sharing with them, we've got to get to that. How I met, how I came to know Jesus. It's not about how you changed your life. If you came to know Jesus and your life changed, he changed it. You couldn't change it. That's why you needed him. The testimony is all about how you came to know him and how you met him. We have a tendency to talk about a lot of Christian things, but we really struggle when it gets down to this. How I met Jesus, that I know Jesus, and eventually, would you like to know Jesus? I can introduce you to him. As soon as you start getting to that point, all hell breaks loose around you because Satan will not want to lose that lost soul. Just a, for instance, you could be talking a mild conversation on the street with somebody, and you're moving towards this, and when you get to the crooks 
of the, this kind of a conversation, motorcycles start going by. Babies start crying. It starts to rain. I don't know. I've experienced all of that in talking to somebody about Christ. It's not a coincidence. Life definitely changes for those who meet and come to know Jesus, but it's Jesus that makes that change. Our salvation testimony is all about knowing him and how we met him. It needs to be because, listen, we're going to jump away here a little bit. It needs to be because salvation, salvation is all about knowing Jesus. If you've been brought up thinking that you need to do good works and your good works will outweigh your bad, that's not going to get you in. There's no work salvation. It's all about knowing him. It's all about coming to meet him. Are you sure, pastor? Prove that to me. Well, I can prove to you that scripture says that. John 17, 3. This is the way to have eternal life, salvation. Salvation is eternal life. We're right now, if you don't know Jesus right now, you're the walking dead. You got physical life, but you got no life. You got no spiritual life in you. Spiritual life comes from God. So when you die and your soul is, is separated from your body, if you never came to know him, you died in death. So you live the rest of eternity in death in a lake of fire. It's just a progression of the death that you lived here. But if you come to know him and he imparts eternal life to you, when your soul separates from your body, now you go into life and you live forever with him in eternal life. People who don't know the Lord can be living the most good-looking life on the outside, but they're walking dead. We were walking dead. All we have is fleshly life. We have no eternal life. That was taken from the human race when we sinned in the garden. That's for another sermon. I need to get back on track. <laughs> eternal life, salvation, comes through meeting and coming to know Jesus. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Jesus told them or told him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I wish there was another way, because I know a lot of people are going to reject Jesus, but we don't compromise truth, not even for the salvation of a precious lost soul. There is no other way and that's what people need to be told. There is no other way. I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth, said Jesus. You want truth? You want life? Then you want Jesus. The only way. There is no other way. Our salvation testimony, when we're talking to others, it's to be all about Jesus. We wonder why sometimes we don't have that power. Well, the power's in the name of Jesus. And if we're skirting around that and we're avoiding that, yeah, then there is no power in our witness. There's no power to convict of sin just with our words and our reasoning. The power's in the name of Jesus. I think we sang something about that today. There's power in the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus into those broken relationships. Speak the name of Jesus into those wayward children's lives. Speak the name of Jesus against those illnesses that are ravaging people. There's power in the name of Jesus. That's where Paul is now going in his testimony to this mob in Jerusalem. 
I was blinded by the intense light. I had to be led by the hand to Damascus. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, well regarded by all the Jews. And again, just a note to the wise. Notice the emboldened print as we go through these passages because that's, that's on what we'll, which we'll comment. Deeply devoted to the law, well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and he stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. A couple of things to note. Regain your sight. And at that moment, I could see him. Paul's Christian life began with, was birthed in the miraculous. That's awesome. But we don't all have that. But we do all have something that we need to share. Something that God did for us as we came to know him. How he orchestrated our circumstances. How he draw, drew us to himself. And then what he did for us. Big or small. And the emphasis must be on God and on Jesus and what he did. Not on what we did. A testimony loses its power when we start to talk about ourselves. Obviously, we're in the story. We're the one God's drawing. We're the ones God's saving. But when the testimony becomes about us, it loses its power. So a guy named Ananias lived there in Damascus. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law, well regarded by all the Jews. Something very interesting there. In, in the line of thinking we're going through today, do you pick anything out there in the way Paul described Ananias? Think about the tactic of what he's trying to accomplish. He's trying to emphasize the common ground. He doesn't mention there that Ananias was a deeply devout believer in Christ, brother in the church, which he was. For the sake of the mob, he tells another truth. Ananias was a godly man, he was deeply devoted to the law, and he was well regarded by all the Jews, even though he was a believer. He was a brother in Christ. Was that devious and deceptive, or was that brilliant and wise? You decide. A few more de details of the testimony. Then he told me, there, then he told me, Ananias, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one, Jesus, to hear him speak, for you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. At his conversion, Paul received a prophetic word, giving him indication of his purpose as a Christian. He was to go about telling everyone his salvation experience and his testimony, which he was doing that very thing in this passage. So after that experience of getting saved up in Syria, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. Wow, was that an accurate word? Paul went back to Jerusalem promptly had a vision of trouble for him in Jerusalem, even back then. Paul's response to that vision. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witnesses, 
when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and I kept the coats that they took off when they stoned him. Paul's argument to the Lord, when the Lord told him he needed to get out of Jerusalem, they're not going to receive you now. Paul's argument was, wait, Lord, maybe I know a little bit better than you. Certainly, they're going to know who I was and what I've become. They're going to know what I have done and what I do now. Surely, they're going to be impressed with that change that has come about in me, and they're going to also come to you. I remember the night that Deb and I got saved. Our house was being remodeled. We were just so excited, This what happened to us. Um, we were sitting on the top of paneling that was to be installed. We were up to one or two, and we were like, we just have to tell people about this. We went outside of our house in the middle of the street just in case anybody would be around at 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning, and we were going to tell them. <laughs> they didn't stand a chance. You need to hear about Jesus. Well, we didn't find anybody, fortunately for them. But we thought, our parents, we got to go tell our parents. They probably just never heard this. Oh, man, big mistake. We were thinking they're going to be so impressed with this change. They're going to be so happy for us. My dad said, get out and stay out. If this is true, get out and stay out. Deb's dad didn't do quite that, but he put her through the ringer, right? Made her call some people, made, made her go see some people. They, both sides of the family thought that we had totally lost it. My dad actually threatened to take our our daughter and raise her because we had gotten into a cult. So Paul's thinking, surely, Lord, they're going to see the change in me and they're going to listen to me. Well, I know from experience that's not necessarily true. You wish it was. The Lord's response to Paul. But the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Something I noticed here, and maybe you have found this to be true in your life, I have. Did you ever notice that when we raise arguments to the Lord about why we shouldn't do it his way, we should do it another way or our way? He usually doesn't entertain those arguments. He usually doesn't sit down and say, well, let's reason about your argument. Let's reason about what you're thinking on this. Maybe I'll change my mind. Nope, he just says, look, I know best. Here's what you need to do. So he didn't even get into it with Paul about how that wasn't going to work and why it wasn't going to work. He just said, Paul, go. I'm going to send you away to the Gentiles. For whatever reason, God did not think it necessary to explain himself or reason this out with Paul. He just told him what he needs to do. And that's the way he deals with us. I don't usually even ask the why question anymore. Because God very rarely responds to me on that. I just ask him what? Not why he allowed this or why he did that. What do you want from me in this? Paul obeyed. He did just that. He left Jerusalem, although it was a fight to leave. They were after him. They had to lower him down in a basket through a hole in the wall to get him out of Jerusalem, the city. And then he went on his way. And he did exactly what the Lord said the Lord was going to do 
from Acts 13 on, he's had this tremendous missionary ministry with the Gentiles up in Damascus, Syria, and further north and over into Eastern Europe. But right now, getting back to our story, and we're coming to a close, whether it's right or wrong, he's back in Jerusalem, and he's back in trouble again in Jerusalem. Summarizing just today's lesson, today's passage is a textbook salvation testimony from the Apostle Paul. Identify with your audience. Let them know who you once were. Don't glory in your war stories, but let them know who you once were. Don't act like, oh, that was the, you know, back in the day, that was the best time of our lives. Whoa, what great time. No, just let them know factually what you once were. Then let them know how you came to meet Jesus and how you now know Jesus. Let them know who you now are. Follow that? Very simple. Let them know who you once were. Let them know how you came to meet Jesus. Let them know who you now are. That's a classic salvation testimony. Very, very powerful. I feel like I should say, any questions? No. Tune in next week. We've shared today, you know, this extensively Paul's salvation testimony or address to this angry mob who were intent on killing him. They quieted down and they listened intently. Was it successful? Did his testimony accomplish anything? Tune in next week, same time, same location. We stand with me, please. As usual, the band will come forward. What has God spoken to you today? That's the application. And as we're waiting for the band to take its place, Jamal, if you'll come. Jamal's going to come to the mic, and he's going to lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for the message that was um, sent forth, God. We thank you, God, for the word, Lord. Thank you for using our pastor, God, for delivering the word of God, Lord. We just thank you, God, for the opportunity to receive the word and lord just help us not to only just be hearers of this word god but also to be a doer of the word lord and lord help us to apply it through our everyday life god throughout the whole week god through sunday monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday and saturday god and even back to sunday again lord lord i just pray for everybody in this congregation god to have a blessed you know tremendous week god i pray for you know everyone if they don't know the god lord i pray that they receive you jesus god i pray god that they just come to know you, God. And I pray, Lord, that you strengthen everybody throughout this week, God. I pray for the children, God, and everybody in our church, God. So we just thank you, God. And, Lord, bless the band, God, as they uh, give the, the song, God. Bless them today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there.
Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.